In this series, we have been journeying through some of the key subjects that lead people to struggle with doubt and deconstruction in their Christian faith. So we talked on episode two about um, stuff about the Bible and what scholars call biblical criticism, the history of the Bible, some of the material in it, textual criticism and all that. Uh, And then last episode, we talked about the classic problem of theodicy, suffering and evil. How can a God who's all-powerful and good allow suffering evil to happen? Does that mean he's either not powerful or not good? And we we journeyed through that and and discussed that, allowing there to be just the realization that we don't have all the answers, but also some of the resources and tools of the Christian faith to journey through suffering. In this episode, we want to talk about one aspect, you might say, of suffering uh, and, and evil, maybe, that I call ugly Christianity. It's this thing where people recognize, outsiders and insiders in Christianity, that Christians have done and continue to do bad things. In the news, there are scandal after scandal, money, sex, politics, you name it. And, um, you know, the world has become smaller with social media. And especially during the pandemic, we doom scroll all day on our devices. And I feel like it's just about every day that we see a new scandal involving a church, a pastor, a Christian community, a theologian. And that leads people to really struggle with how Christianity could be the way. I remember famously, um, it's been attributed to Gandhi. I don't know if a quote has been found specifically in his works, but it's been attributed to Gandhi saying, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Mm. I wish your Christians were more like your Christ. So AJ, um, tell me how you have experienced what I call ugly Christianity, this Mm. idea that Sometimes Christians do terrible things. Mm. It's fresh for all of us. I mean, uh, in my earliest formative years uh, of of learning, trying to wrestle through, you know, why is Christianity, um, you know, good and true, and why is Jesus the way, the truth, and the life? I was deeply impacted by the ministry of Ravi Zacharias massively, as many of us were. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and. Uh, you know, I, I still remember some of those early years, some of the some of his talks. Like, th- they were they were d- deeply formative. I mean, shaped the bedrock of my faith on so many, uh, so many things. And of course, in the last few months, to discover posthumously some um, very dark and evil things that he he gave his life to, um, uh that creates a lot of pain, a lot of tension. How in the world do you make sense of a hero falling and then realizing that that hero also really formed you? And it causes you to go through all sorts of questions. You know, it causes you to think, well, do I reject all of that? Do I reject everything that he handed us? Do I recant it all and, and go the opposite direction? You know, and you know, there's, I, there is this, 
in in one of my classes I just did, I, I I was talking about this this Ravi Zacharias scandal, and and I said for a lot of people who reject the Christian faith, they do it because they've seen how Christians have acted in history, and they've gone, you know, they've said, well, Christians have done X, Y, and Z, so clearly they can't have anything to say to us. But we would never say that about something like Black Lives Matter. I mean, for right. example. Um, you know, you don't have to work hard to see people who have manipulated the the BLM message to do harm or uh, to, you know, um, do violence or whatnot. But just because some individuals have done negative things in the name of BLM does not mean that we should not listen to what people of color have to say to us and or 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 Black Lives Matter has to say to us. And so we hide behind the sins of some to not have to engage the whole story. It is very easy to just reject Christianity because you've seen some really bad Christians. But C.S. Lewis, you know, I think perfectly puts it in, in the, the abuse of something never nullifies its original use. Yeah. Just because somebody has abused Christianity does not mean Christianity is false. It means the abuse of Christianity is false. So this is fresh for a lot of us. Anybody listening to this who has had a hero fall in the faith, if you don't walk away from that wounded on some level, limping on some level, then you were really never uh, listening to that. You weren't. You actually didn't have a hero. You weren't looking up to him. So this is real. It's important uh, to think about um, and grieve the ways in which our heroes have been wrong. But just because our heroes have been wrong does not negate ways in which we were formed by those people. Yeah. I mean, I'm in, you know, the kind of biblical studies academic sphere. And, you know, a handful of years ago, there was a particular well-known academic uh, who it was discovered that a number of his commentaries, reference books had plagiarism Mm. Uh, and, and knowing a bit about the person, I don't think it was intentional. But it was so widespread in his books that the publisher pulled all the books out of uh, circulation. Mm-hmm. And many of us were really um, unclear about whether we should, you know, I have the book on my shelf. Do I, mm-hmm. do I throw it away? Do I burn it? Do I give it to somebody? Do I use it? Do I just, you know, have it for record? Um, and that's a probably lighter, you know, example. It's very different than sexual abuse and things like that. But it raises the question of kind of separating the person's contributions to society from their behavior and looking at the nature of leadership. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the problems, we've talked about this before, AJ, but one of the problems I think that leads us to such um, heart-wrenching disappointment with Christianity is because we put so much faith in our leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even though I think you brought this up before, even though Paul said, don't say, I belong to Paul, I belong to Apollos, I belong to Peter, that's what we do. We say, you know, I belong to this celebrity pastor, I belong to this theologian. And I remember hearing things about Karl Barth that are uncomfortable. Yep. Um, things about even Martin Luther King Jr., who I think is really wonderful uh, as a hero of civil rights and Christianity, 
um, that are less than perfect. Yep. yep. And at what? And I think we struggle with at what point do we have to say they can no longer be my hero? Yeah. Is that is that a line that we can actually discern, AJ? Mm. I, I would hope so. I mean, ultimately ultimately if we can't find a way to receive from broken people um and and we don't when i say broken people that could come across like we're minimizing uh abuse that's not what i'm attempting to do um every one of our heroes it doesn't matter who they are is fundamentally flawed we we can't not be led by by broken people yeah and we can't help lead others as broken people i mean we we read the psalms all the time knowing david and his clear violation of God's heart by his uh, essentially rape of Bathsheba. Mm. Um, And yet we read his Psalms uh, on Sunday all the time. We have the capacity in that environment to hear the deeper truth of what God is speaking through David and yet reject wholly what he, what, what he did as a human being. We have to, I mean, we, you know, like my grandma used to say, eat the meat, eat, eat the eat the meat and spit out the bones. You know, that you have mm-hmm. this discern that's what we call discernment, the ability to receive what is good and true and to spit out that which is not good and not true. We have to. What this does to so many people when 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 we see the brokenness, the ugly side of Christianity that we're discussing here, it does cause us to, in many ways, run away. I, I've often thought of the parable of the prodigal son, the story of this you know, older son, younger son, uh, the parable of the prodigal sons. You've got this uh, younger son who says to the father, I want the inheritance. He runs away uh, from the inheritance, with the inheritance to the city where he parties and, and eventually comes back to the father and he has this beautiful reunion where the father bakes him this incredible barbecue and gives him the ring and the, all the fatted calf and all this stuff. But, you know, there's a question that I've never heard it answered. Why did he run away? Yeah. What was it that made him run away? And the more and more I think about that parable, I think it the reason the younger son ran away because of the older brother. When he comes back, the older brother has no grace. He is rigidly against the idea of somebody being redeemed. He can't handle it. And I think the younger son eventually ran away from the father's house because of the silliness of the older brother. Yeah. In a lot of settings we are seeing people run away from the Christian faith because they've seen somebody else in the household really act in a very sick mm-hmm. way. And that that's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. But, <laughs> and Jesus is too good to run away from because we've seen one of his other followers be idiots. Yeah. He's too good. And coming home, uh, is an important part of the father's desire. And sometimes, you know, the parable of the prodigal son tells us about the older son, who's this r- rigidly religious guy who is as lost as the younger son. And that's the, the the parable's mystery, is that you can have never left home and still be lost. Uh, it's the parable of the prodigal sons. It's it's not, not one of them who is lost. So come home. I mean, at the end of the day, Jesus is too good to run away from because he has some other followers who are idiots. Sounds like um, when you when you experience the disillusionment of you know ugly Christianity, I, I hear what I hear you saying is what you need is a reset, not to reject. Mm. To mm. reject is to say screw it, I'm, I'm done. done. I'm to reset, I think, is to say 
how do I recenter on the true gospel? How do I recenter on the real Jesus? How do I recenter on uh, authentic Christianity versus this um, distortion, this this wretched uh, uh, counterfeit Mm -hmm. that I'm seeing, you know, in, in, in this scandal or in this person or in this, uh, what's been revealed in this news article. Um, if people are trying to reset AJ, you know, people that have gone through, uh, let's say people at Willow Creek who have, you know, gone through just the mess of, of that whole situation or people that were involved with the Ravi Zacharias ministries, they probably don't know what to do. Um, what are some, what are some, first steps in resetting? Um, I, I feel, if I'm honest, I feel unqualified to answer that question. Yeah. Uh, I feel um, in, 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 as a person of, in power who has a, a, a platform here who can, I think it, it would be very dangerous for me to prescribe for somebody uh, the steps that they need to undertake for healing. This is where we need to lean on uh, counselors and mental health professionals and pastors on the ground who can walk alongside people um, because every story is different. Nobody has the exact same story. Um, and I think it's disingenuous for me in a digital environment to give a bunch of advice to people whose story I know so little about. Hmm. Um, I, I think that if the healing took place in the local church or if the pain took place in the local church, I think also the healing takes place in the local church and that, that often we need to encounter Jesus again in the same place where we, not the same church. Right. I'm not saying the same church. Right. But if we were hurt in a church, then often God wants to bring us to a new community in which, in which we can, we can experience healing again. I think a lot of people don't want to do that because of the fear of being hurt again. We do not want to experience the pain all over again. And I understand that. I understand that. And, and there is, there is a, a community of, of people who are, are doing their best to follow Jesus, who have been so wounded by the church and have said, I'm done with the church. And you and I need to be, have deeply com- deep compassion for those, of those individuals. Um, for pastors, I would say, when you have people who come to your church who have experienced church trauma, um, we need to not ever shame or minimize their pain and their story. Mm-hmm. They need to be listened to, slowly walked with, compassionately understood, and um, and befriended yeah. uh, over a long period of time. Um, so I feel really, un- I, I, if I'm honest, I feel really uncomfortable answering that question. Maybe it's a reality that different people need to journey through that in different ways. I mean, just as kind of a, you know, a Bible professor myself, I would say, I think a helpful practice is um, reading through the Bible. Maybe taking time to say, okay, God, because there are many havens that we go to that may be not helpful for us. Um, But I think reading through scripture and I think reading through scripture reminds us, like you were saying about David, that uh, this problem is not a new problem. Mm. Uh, Biblical history tells, you know, a long tale of disappointing leaders and, um, and, and moments when leaders need to be called out on their crap. Um, I think it can be really rejuvenating to read scripture. I mentioned this before on the podcast, but Bonhoeffer, when he was in prison, he was writing letters with his friend. And in one of his letters, he wrote, um, I'm, I'm not going to read the New Testament anymore. It's too cheery. Hmm. I find the Old Testament resonates more with me because it's real. Like it's, 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 
it's telling the real, you know, about real life in the real world. And um, I think there can be a great space in the reading of scripture mm. for the positives of, you know, of, of biblical wisdom uh, mixed with just the realities of, you know, mm. that there's a, I'm, I'm showing my age here, but my favorite band from college was Cademan's Call. Yes. Remember Cademan's Call? Derek Webb. That's oh, right. Classic. And they had a wonderful album. Uh, the title of the album was great. It's called A Long Line of Leavers. Mm-hmm. I come from a long line of leavers, meaning um, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, right? Like the hymn says, um, I think these scandals need to be, you know, justice needs to happen, truth and reconciliation, all of that. It is a reminder of the weakness that exists in all of us mm-hmm. and that we're one bad decision, one bad week, one bad month away from hurting other people devastatingly. Yes. yes. Um, that should lead us to circumspection. Also, I would say, maybe I shouldn't, but I would say maybe even empathy mm-hmm. that um, uh the broken people around us are not that different than us. No. Jesus identifies with the the woman caught in adultery in John's gospel. Uh, he stands with her mm-hmm. in and against the religious yeah. leaders who are standing to, to kill her. He stands with her, and it is in standing with her, in being one with her, in um, standing— You know, if they were going to throw the rocks at her, they're going to have to hit him too. Mm-hmm. And eventually, you know, he speaks truth to her. He says, he, he, uh, he says, don't, don't sin anymore, but I love you. You know, yeah. um, I'm here and I don't condemn you. Um, we, we play a very important role as leaders. We play a very, a disproportionate role in identifying with and, and, and being one with people who have been hurt by the church and been hurt by religious communities to stand with them. You're going to, you're going to throw rocks at them. That's okay. You're going to have to throw them at me too. Yeah. Um, and that's a hard role to play as a, as a leader, because when you, when you identify with somebody who's been traumatized, um, when you identify with somebody who's walked through that, um, you become, uh, almost, you, you become almost in a shame honor culture. You take on their shame. Yeah. You, you take on their aura of shame that people, everyone knew about. Um, but that's a healing thing to have a follower of Jesus come alongside you and stand with you in your trauma and your pain and refuse to leave. It's a powerful thing to do. Yeah. 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 Christianity is, is, is made up of, of, of fundamentally flawed people. I remember Carl Bart was once asked by one of his students, um, if Christianity is the only way to God, and Karl Barth is reported to have said that Christianity never got anybody to God, only Jesus could do that. Right. And Christianity is is flawed and broken and is comprised of really broken individuals and systems. But Christians don't save anybody, and neither does the church. Yeah, I remember there was a there was a, a Christian writer, I can't remember exactly who, you know, who I think often said, um, Christianity continues to 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 die and be reborn in the sense that you have these movements of churches and church cultures they're not they don't last forever because these are our expressions of the kingdom of God yeah. sometimes they need to die 
sometimes something new needs to come. And I, I think you've mentioned this before that one of the biggest growth areas in the United States is not in the mega church, uh, but in immigrant communities. Mm. And we're seeing these immigrant communities, which tend to be very small, have a very vibrant faith that's culturally very different than the mega churches. That that leads me to wonder, AJ, is there something about mega churches? Because a lot of these scandals seem to happen around money, power, and size. Uh, what is what do you think is the phenomenon behind that? Is that is that a liability in and of itself? Personally, having having been a part of small churches and big churches, see problems in both models. I don't I That's don't know fair. if if the size is what makes something dangerous or not. And I, I've been a part of small groups that were as ingrown and sick as anything else, and I've been a part of big churches that are profoundly life-giving and, and, and reaching tons of people in, in the name of Jesus. Um, there does seem to be in large church cultures, um, there does seem to be a disproportionate amount of power given to a few individuals. Hmm. I heard somebody tweeted this week uh, about the Billy Graham rule. The Billy Graham wasn't ever in a, he claimed to never be in a room Right. With a woman all alone. Right. And somebody tweeted, actually, maybe the Billy Graham rule should be to never be a person in power with power all alone. <laughs> that 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 it's really dangerous when we have too much power to ourselves. Right. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. There's a lot of wisdom in the idea that when one person or a few people have too much power, man, it it creates so much more possibility for woundedness, pain, suffering. Um so you know, again, I've been a part of large communities that are really healthy and small communities that are really unhealthy. Um, I've also, we've all seen on the news, uh, big churches that have done great harm and small communities that have done, uh, that are doing awesome. So I don't think the size is really ultimately mm. the deal. I think are people in power, um, do they have friends? Do they have people in their life who can tell them that they're wrong? Accountability. Do they have a structure yeah. in which if they're wrong, they're, they could be pulled out real quick. Uh, because if we have this sort of Moses model, I can do anything I want. Um, it creates scars after scars after scars after scars, or at least has the greatest potential to create scars after scars after scars. Yeah. I, you know, I have a friend who said that, you know, he thinks that the reason why we point to the mega churches is they're the ones in the news. Mm, yeah. Right. Uh, so I agree with you. It's not just a size thing, but that power expands right? With the larger church to, to affect more and more people. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the importance of accountability, the importance of transparency with money and, you know, relationships and things like that. Um, you know, can I, can I tell you a story real yeah, quick about ahead. that? I, I, for the better part of 10 years, I served as a, a senior pastor and um, there was this one time we did a, uh, we did a, a building campaign to raise money to, to get a building in Portland very hard to get space in Portland. We were trying to build a, get a, get a building in Portland. And there was a guy in the church uh, who gave a very large sum of money. Um, and I was amazed in my own heart as a pastor, how that changed my relationship with him. Hmm. I almost found in my own heart, I just wanted to cater to him because I knew he had the check. He had the checkbook and that simple knowledge that somebody else would, could pay the bills, somebody else could cover the thing, somebody else could do it, really caused me to atrophy my strength. I, yeah. I 
couldn't stand up to that person. I felt like I couldn't tell him what I, and this person needed somebody to stand up to him and tell him some stuff. And I couldn't because I was terrified that they would just cancel their check. And I don't say that. And we never got the building. And so it, it didn't matter at the end of the day, but I tell that story simply to say that when you're a person in power, um, it is easy to, in essence, man, a tithe could be a payoff. Um, a, a generous giver can be a payoff um, to, to not have to confront things. You, you said to me earlier today, you said something about politics. You, you said, um, you, you said something about the politician who moves from having, if you t- yeah, tell that. That's that was, right. oh. Yeah. So this, uh, I was doing a word study on a word in Philippians, kenodoxia, which means vainglory. And it appears in the writings of a Jewish, uh, philosopher from the ancient world, Philo of Alexandria. He, and he loves to take biblical texts and do kind of allegorical sermons, so we did one on Joseph, the patriarch, becoming kind of a, a big leader in, in uh, Egypt. And, and this gets Philo thinking about power and leadership. And he uses this word, kenodoxia, because he says that person who has kind of a, a, a smaller job in their early career has basically one boss, right? But then when they become a person in power and they want to grow in authority, respect, he says... Now, when they get up on stage to talk to the masses, they have basically a million bosses instead of one, and they're at the whim of that crowd, hmm. and and they will do anything to gain their approval, and that leads to kenodoxia, where you want the glory without any of the accomplishment, without any of the work, and um, I, you know, I wonder if that happens in some of these churches where people want so much to be. Um, popular, to be influential, that one compromise leads to the next. Yeah, And, you know, I even remember, you know, a a leader who did some really uh, sketchy things with finances in order to sell more books. And um, I remember them saying like, uh, I I did this because I really believe my books would would help people's faith. Mm. And, um, you know, Ravi Zacharias had the thing, this was before the sexual scandal came to light, but he had the thing where he was uh, inflating some of his academic credentials. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I could see someone justifying that by saying, oh, I did this to bring more renown to, you know, the work of God in my ministry. Yes, yes. And, and leaders have used that argument over and over again when, they, when they're in scandal to say, um, this will help my ministry. This will help mm. God's work mm. through me. Yeah. And, and it only leads to disaster later on as people realize the kind of self-dealing yep. Yep. aspect of that. Now, one thing that's interesting to me is I think, I think United Methodists do this. Um, they rotate churches mm. so they don't stay in one church. Is that, do you know anything about this? I think the, I think the Methodists do. Yeah. This. It's a mainline approach. I think a lot of mainline churches will, will do this. And then when you leave, you completely cut yourself off. Your yeah. relationships essentially run themselves done. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that's the way to do it, but um, I remember one of my professors talking about pastors needing to have a ministry of absence, mm-hmm. yes. meaning the pastor shouldn't go to all the board meetings. They shouldn't go to all the subcommittee meetings. They shouldn't go to all the church services because the church should be led by the church Yes, and not just by one figurehead yes. who becomes uh, the kind of Lord. Yes. 
and chancellor. Isn't that, isn't that Paul's, Paul's method? I mean, what's the longest he stayed in a city in Ephesus three years, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what would he do? He'd start a church and then leave right away. There's a book by Roland Allen on St. Paul's missionary methods. And he's, he's, he actually argues that's why Christianity took off because they had, he, he knew that had he stayed too long, uh, in these churches, people would have trusted more in him than in the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And so he knew getting out of the way, the ministry of absence was actually the key to the church's explosion. Yeah. So so we're wrapping up here, but I want to just ask about the Duns. I think I've asked you about this before, but these are people who have been wounded by the church, experienced trauma, and um, and they're done. Yep. They'll say they say, you know, I, I I think I still love Jesus. Um, I still like the Bible, but I don't know if I can go to a church again because of what churches have done to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a part of this ugly Christianity. That's a part of doubt is saying, I like the Christianity thing, um, but the church thing really troubles me. And I think part of that's politics. People associate church now with a certain, certain political beliefs. Um, is there a way to redeem church for, for people in that situation. Church fruit. Yeah. Is that what you said? Church fruit redeem. Well, I don't know. Church redeem church for people. Oh, for people. Yeah. Church fruit. (laughs) (laughs) If we had fruit, that might help. We would fresh fruit, church church fruit. Yeah. Well, you know, I remember years ago (laughs) reading Donald Miller's book, blue like jazz and my friend, Tony Chris, um, uh, and 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 Don, there's this funny story where they set up a confession booth at uh, uh, at Reed College in Portland, and uh, people came into the confession booth, and rather than receiving the uh, confessions of the of the sinners, uh, they confessed the sins of the church to the people that came in. I remember reading that, and it's a you know, there's a powerful image in that. It, it's a it's a very powerful thing to consider moments when the church is humble enough to say. Um, yeah, we missed this. We were wrong on this. I'm not saying that we bend Orthodox Christianity and our our theology to appease people. That's not what we're talking about here. Mm. But uh, amending the wrongs that have been done begins by naming truth. And it begins by saying, yes, we missed this and messed it up. And we're sorry. And going beyond sorry and actually amending the thing, like, like, like going out of your way to um, to make things right. That's hard, hard work for all of us. Um, you know, you and I right now are wrestling through issues of, you know, when you publish something that's maybe not liked by everybody and you wonder like, do you just leave it up or do you recant it or do you write an apology or whatnot? And there's a big difference between making a mistake and sinning against somebody. Yeah. And when we sin against somebody as Jesus teaches the rich young ruler. Sometimes you need to, to do things to repair what you've done. That was wrong. A mistake is one thing. A sin is another. And when, when the church sins, we are called to repent. Yeah. And and, and I think part of it too, is being willing to see the good. Yeah. Uh, There is so much goodness out there. And if you remember when the pandemic started, um, what's his name? Did all this, some good news. Do you remember that guy? No, I didn't hear that. Uh, the guy from the office. Um, 
you know, he started doing these little news shows where he talks about good news around the world. Someone could see that as, hey, this is the wrong time. We should be, you know, but I really appreciated it because it are these, it's these little reminders that um, gospeling is still happening. Yes. Um, people's lives are being changed. Um, people are finding healing in, in their lives. Uh, people are finding wellness. And um, I think when we're going through the gloom of it, it's hard to see past that. Mm, yes. uh, not that we shouldn't acknowledge it, but it's hard to see past that. And so um, hearing good stories and, and, uh, and, and allowing that to affect your perception uh, of Christianity and of the church can be a really powerful thing. Yeah. Yeah, we're not we're not super good at at the good news. We love the stuff that retweets. We do. Yeah. yeah, the news. I listen to the news. I listen to the news every morning when I make coffee, and by and large, it's bad news. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. 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 And that's hard. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we we believe in Jesus, mm-hmm. and uh, Jesus loves His church, yeah. and Jesus also calls His church to repent. Yeah. And we do a great service to the church when we choose to be a part of it and be parts of its sanctification process. Um, when we, when we do the work of trying to correct the church from outside the church, our, our impact is limited, but when we do it in a loving way from within the community, there's a larger impact. Yeah. And need you a great conversation. Thanks for talking about <laughs> ugly Christianity and church fruit. Yeah. And beautiful Christianity, which does happen sometimes. Absolutely. Grace and peace.